Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my fantastic co-hosts, Elizabeth Woodson and Adam Hawkins. Elizabeth, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Would you say 2020 has been your best year yet? Um, as in best, you mean uh, most isolated inside looking at my books? Yeah. <laughs> it's the best year. <laughs> that part's been great. <laughs> Adam Hawkins, how you doing, man? Are you living your best life now in 2020? Uh, I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah. Just all right. Well, great. Well, we're going to get into talking about just how amazing this year has been so far all that the world has going on in it. And this is going to be our last episode of the season as we also kind of close out what we are looking forward to this fall or at least hoping for this fall as we get back from our summer break. So looking forward to talking about with this uh, with you guys. All right, let's set up this last discussion of the season by using a little bit of a framework we can see from the book of 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter uh, in the book of First Peter, Peter writes to the early church as an exile, and there's four things I want to talk about in particular that come out of uh, the book of First Peter. He talks about the fact that there will be suffering, that we can expect that, that we shouldn't be surprised by it, that we, the, the church, Christians, are to be holy and set apart, so to live righteous lives, that uh, we shouldn't look just like everybody else, shouldn't look like the world, and that we're to serve one another and seek the common good. So that means maybe for us about how we might engage the world around us, our neighbors, our, uh, socially, politically, the culture that we find ourselves in, uh, that we love those inside and outside, the family of faith. And then lastly, fourth, uh, that we have an eternal hope in the resurrection of Jesus, that there's no need to fear our future or to sound the alarm. The sky is never falling in desperation on the Christian church. So Look at these four things, that there will be suffering, that Christians are to be set apart, that they're to serve one another and seek the common good, and lastly, that we have an eternal hope. I want to talk about how those points apply to our current cultural climate, and there's a lot going on in the world, obviously. Uh, if you just turned on the news today, you'll, you'll see uh, two stories at the top. You see racial injustice and uh, the ramifications and the stories related to that. You see COVID-19, the coronavirus, and all the stories related to that. And then also, this is an election year. You see a lot going on in politics. You see cancel culture, people being uh, uh, um, routinely found out for what they said or what they used to say or what they did and then removed from the culture. And this, among many other things, there is just a lot going on. So looking at these four things, I've just kind of given a huge intro to this episode But looking at all these things, I'd love to hear from you, Elizabeth and Adam. What sticks out to you when you think about, let's just start with that first one, maybe. What kind of suffering have we seen so far in 2020 that we can say, hey, Peter was right. There will be suffering. Where are we seeing that? Elizabeth? And you see it just with COVID-19. I mean, our country a few weeks ago surpassed 100,000 people who have died um, because of the virus and that death and grief that, that is attached to that is deep and pervasive. And so what does it look like for us to enter into those spaces and not to, in some sense, lose our mind? Um, I think not to be overwhelmed, not to lose hope, to hold on to the things that we say we believe in um, and what we think about God in the midst of those things. 
And so I think sometimes in the midst of suffering, we can attach ideas to God that are actually not true about him. That God in the midst of COVID-19 is still good and is still moving this world towards his ultimate purpose. Um, But we are in a hard place. And I think a unique hard place for our country that we have not in this generation experienced before. Um, And so what does it mean for us to press into suffering and not to escape through it, through our comforts or just through ignoring it? and be people who are present with others, a sense of compassion um, for the suffering. Again, not ignoring if that suffering has not reached our front door. Um, I think that also plays a part in what we see with the racial injustice is that there's some deep suffering that's been happening in our country for a really long time. And how do we enter into that and not move back because we may not understand or may not agree uh, with the particular views that are attached to some of those things that are happening. Excellent. Adam, anything to add to that? Where else are we seeing suffering right now and, and where uh, maybe culture matters can speak some truth into that? I think Elizabeth touched on the main ones that jump out in my mind co- uh, in both COVID-19 and racial injustice. But I also think of maybe some of the uh, downstream effects of those things. So I, I, I'm just thinking sort of personally around people I've been talking with. There's just a lot of isolation. Um, there's a lot of fear. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, especially related to COVID-19 itself, just people, you know, a lot of people are, are lonely, but I also would say, I, I think it's not just COVID that's, that's maybe causing some of those things. I think it's, that's maybe a microcosm of some larger, um, narratives going on in our culture. And I think just when I think about politically where we are, um, I, I don't know, if it's true, uh, we always like to sort of maybe think our time is unique, but it sure, it seems to me that within my living memory, we are more divided as a country than we've ever been. And this causes a tension. This causes people to feel um, more alone, more isolated. This, this causes us to paint the world in sort of a, a, a very black and white way, especially around politics. And I would say there's a certain element of suffering that goes along with that. Uh, there's a suffering that exists in a in what I would call a shame-based culture, and many people are talking about the the cancel culture, as you mentioned earlier, Adam, as um, mimicking or having components of it that look a lot more like a shame-based culture than it does a guilt-based culture. So, you know, the 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 way they would describe this is in a guilt-based culture you did something wrong, right? So like if you do if you did something bad, it's oh, you did something wrong. And the pathway forward is typically an individualistic path, pathway forward that says something, you know, their apologies are possible and there's restitution that can be made. But in more shame-based cultures, it's not that you just did something wrong. You did something wrong because you are bad, right? You did something bad because you actually are bad. Your identity is that you're a bad person. And so because of that, there is no way to sort of, there's no pathway forward. Apologies aren't enough. Um, forward you know you know you can't you can't change who you are i guess it's sort of the 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 wave of the culture right now we especially see this uh, as people interact with each other from a distance on social media and so any past transgressions uh mean that you should be shunned because there is no redemption uh so i think I, in saying those things i think there's suffering there division, suffering, strife, all those things. Um, I'm, I, it just seems to be everywhere in 2020. Yeah, that's great. So let's segue from that to, to the second thing that we talk about from First Peter is that how are Christians supposed to be different? How should we be set apart from that? So how are we set apart in our response or in our actions 
concerning those who are diagnosed with COVID or those struggling with COVID or isolated? How do the Christians set apart themselves when it comes to a divided country and politics? How do Christians set themselves apart when it comes to prejudice and racial injustice? Adam, can we start back with you with some of the stuff you were just talking about? How, how should Christians be responding to these elements of suffering differently than other people in the world? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to take each one in turn to, to a degree. Um, I think there's big generalizations you could say about each. And, and the big generalizations, I think, would be that we, we're not a fearful people, that Christians are not um, a people who should cower in the face of suffering, or as Elizabeth alluded to earlier, that, that um, we don't retreat in the face of suffering. Um, and, and I think that would probably hold across all um, but but I do think um, um, what I would say is each of these that we've talked about, whether it's racial injustice or COVID-19 or isolation or division or, you know, uh, shame-based shunning, you might say, um, I, I think Christians should look a lot different than the world and how we engage in each of them. Um, and maybe we can open that up there, but I'd love to hear what uh, Elizabeth has to say, maybe about any of them really um you know i think what i think about is um the imaho day and so what does it look like for us to um have responses that are motivated by our belief in love for who god has made humanity to be um and hoping and wishing for them to be at their best and so trying to move them forward in that and all the things that god has laid out for us for that in scripture. Um, but so much of like cancel culture, the division we see, um, our divisiveness is really based upon the quickness with which we, we just dehumanize people. And so you're not human anymore. You don't deserve my compassion. You don't deserve grace. You just deserve the most fierce anger I can give. And there's nothing wrong with anger. Um, that scripture teaches us that anger is, anger is righteous, but I think we see a lot of anger that's coming from some not, good, not so good spaces. Um, even recently in the past few weeks and months. And so I think for me, it's the, um, it's what it look like for us to honor the humanity of each and every person we respond to and interact with, um, whether they agree with us or don't agree with us. And then I think being Christians who think critically about the things that are happening in culture. I think sometimes as Christianity, we like to live in the binary, the black and white. And a lot of what we're talking about is gray. The answers aren't easy. And so we have compassion for our leaders, um, both that in the church and our leaders in government, we have compassion for the people who are making decisions. And as we are navigating through information that we just don't spread things, we've talked about this before with conspiracy theories, we don't spread things that we haven't thought through and don't haven't researched. Um, but we also recognize maybe the answer isn't as easy as I think it is. And maybe I don't see well in every area. And so humility in the way that we engage also, um, because it's hard, the things that we're walking through, and no one has an easy answer. Um, but I think if we are looking at people as they're made in the image of God and walking with humility, then we can be set apart in a much more different way than what we're doing right now. And that's excellent. I think um, one of the easy things that can happen to a fearful Christian public right now is that with the suffering that you guys are describing and with the responsibility to be set apart, is people can feel permission to withdraw and just wait for things to, to quote unquote pass by or quote unquote get back to normal or just, you know, I'll just, I just won't engage and I'll just, I'll stop watching the news and I'll stop thinking about these things. And there's a real desire to do that, especially from 
from weariness right now or from isolation. But uh, the third thing we want to talk about from First Peter is that we would um, work for the common good. And, and I know part of working for the common good means that Christians are going to need to not only be involved, but lead. And I think we have an opportunity to lead. Elizabeth, can you think of ways that right now, I know a lot of our listeners come from a lot of different churches all over the countries, how, all over the country. How can we, how do we want to see Christians working for the common good in wherever the community or church they find themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think about what you just said is the idea is that there is no plan B. <laughs> we are the plan B in some sense who the Lord has left here to, to work out things and making this world a better place. He works through us. And so that we would just know what's actually happening in our community. I think a lot of people don't know what's happening, whether it is um, with elected officials, whether it is with the criminal justice system in our community, like you would just become educated about, okay, who does what here? Who's elected? How do the, what policies are they voting for? How does this affect marginalized people? Um, and so it requires us to do some work. It requires us to be a little bit uncomfortable, um, but it's worth it. And so I think that the first step is, particularly because of isolation, that people would become educated about the communities they live in and the country they live in. Um, and that leads us to be more active with our civic engagement because we have to bring our Christian ideals and um, values to the marketplace, to government, to education, to every place that we go, we're supposed to bring those with us. But you can't bring it to some place that you don't know where it is. Um, and so I think to me, it's first figuring out the community and neighborhood that you live in. That's excellent. I do hear, I, you know, I, I see a lot of uh, part-time Christians where it's like, I will be a Christian at church or I'll be a Christian on my Christian friends. But if we're going to serve the common good, the common good is the belief that the gospel has something to say everywhere I go. And that means it affects the way I work and, and how I feel about my job. And it affects the way I vote and how I feel about my vote. And it, you know, like you're saying, it, it calls us out to, uh, to union with Christ wherever we are. Adam, what would you say to a pastor who's maybe struggling with fear of what his people will think if he tries to serve the common good in his community? I know that right now, a lot of pastors face negative feedback when they say, hey, here's how we're going to be a leader in this community. We're not just going to wait to see uh, how this shakes out. We're going to take steps to make a difference. What would you say to that guy who's maybe just dealing with a lot of negative criticism? Yeah, I mean, I think... um you know, what's so interesting is to watch people and to watch the people you lead and, and ourselves, right? As Christians, we sort of seem to waffle in between um, two poles as we face suffering if we're not rooted deeply in Christ. And what I mean by being rooted deeply is like really seeking him and seeking his rest and seeking his wisdom. Uh, we kind of waffle in between despair and control. That's what I see a lot. And so on the one hand, you'll have, let's just take a COVID-19, you'll have people who kind of seek to control. And what that can look like is, um, you know, it can look a lot of ways, but one way might be an overconfidence in things you don't know about to Elizabeth's point. So we're going to reopen no matter what, and we're all going to be around each other because we're not supposed to be afraid. And to me, that is, a, there's a hubris in that, but there's also a kind of like, I'm going to take control of my own destiny kind of a thing happening there. And on the other hand, you can have despair, which is, you know, we can't ever be around each other again, et cetera. And what's my point in saying that to the question you just asked? I think as leaders, what we have to do is we cannot respond um, to the anxieties, right? We cannot respond to anxiety with anxiety, or we cannot respond to anxiety 
um, with uh, j- just by being reactionary. I think what what actually needs to happen is we need to set out with conviction. And the place we're going to find our conviction, and what I would say to the pastor is the place you're going to find your conviction is being rooted deeply in the Lord. Um, and you're not, you're not going to make all the perfect steps, and you certainly aren't going to be able to please people, so you shouldn't set out to please them in the first place. What you need to do is get together with your leaders, make wise decisions, trust in the Lord, and go from there. That's what I would say. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. That's that's really good. This last week, I had a moment where I was struggling with um, just a, criticism from different directions. You know, like how do you make a decision when you know that uh, whichever one you make, someone is going to be unhappy. Someone's going to feel like they lost. Someone's going to feel like you went against them. And my wife said to me, and she's always so much wiser and more insightful. She said, "This is why the Lord's voice needs to be the loudest one, mm-hmm. and why we're not looking for who's what's the majority of the church think." We're not looking for what is the loudest person in the church think. We're not looking even for what do I want my will to be done or what makes me the safest or the most um, admired version of a minister or pastor that I could be. But rather, is the Lord the loudest voice in my life as I'm trying to make decisions and trying to mm. lead well? And that's true for all of us, uh, not just uh, people who are leading churches, but that's true for Christians. And I want the Lord's voice to be the loudest in a in a season where social media and the news can be a loud voice to the contrary or, um, or distraction, then I want the Lord's voice to be the loudest. And let's, let's close out this first half of the, the episode with this. We talked about earlier that we have an eternal hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and no ultimate need for fear or alarm. And yet some of the things you guys have both touched on are how fear and anxiety are driving a lot of the division tensions, uh, how these emotions are kind of driving people right now. How does a theology of understanding that the victory is already won, that Christ is coming, help us in the now, in the, and not just in the future, but Elizabeth, you're such a skilled Bible teacher. How do you help people understand that while Christ is not back yet, and our hope, that our hope is not only in a future, but that we can have hope right now. I think with our faith that we believe that no matter what happens to us, um, that you will be okay. That in the midst of suffering, that God is enough to sustain you and give you the strength you need to persevere. Um, he is able to heal. He is able to provide. And I think it's the truth about who God is in our life and specifically about the way that the power of the Holy Spirit um, works through us to be able to help us live in this world. Um, but that this world is not home, and it is the beginning of an eternal life with God. And so no matter how hard things get on this side of eternity, we have an eternity to spend in perfection with God. And so I think that is to minimize or dismiss what's happening here. Um, one of you said it before that we kind of say, hey, we're just going to wait till Jesus comes back, and we're just going to sit back and not be involved. But that I should not, fear should not control me, because the one who is greater than fear is in me. Um, and that we hold life loosely because we recognize that nothing here is promised except Jesus Christ himself to us. Um, and that is greater than everything. And so it doesn't mean it's going to be easier. Um, suffering is hard, but our hope is in Jesus. The suffering has an end date and we have a glory that awaits us that far surpasses um, these light and momentary afflictions that we experience now. Adam, what Elizabeth just said is so true. 
And yet I know that a lot of people struggle with a version of that theology that leads to escapism that says, if I could just uh, numb myself until I die, or if I could just escape uh, what's in front of me, or if I could just, uh, almost like what Paul says, where he says, it would be better to go and be with Christ by far, but I'm still here for a purpose. And escapism is such a temptation for our culture right now, where we'd rather turn on Netflix and pretend nothing is happening than deal with our real world emotions, relationships, and realities around us. How do you comfort? How do you counsel somebody who's struggling with, I just, I just wish the Lord would just take me. And that's the only solution I can imagine. Man, I love Netflix. (laughs) Um, But what I would say, um, yeah, and Elizabeth has talked about this so many times in the show, so I know I'm not, I'm, I'm, I know I'm copying her in many ways, but yeah, I think um, the part that we need to remember about Christ is, uh, and, and our eternal hope in him, right, uh, is that he is also a king, which means he has a kingdom. Uh, and his kingdom is not a, you know, cloud city in the sky. Uh, it's a reality that while it's not fully present here on earth, he has begin the, began the work of ushering it in. And what we are to be and do as Christians is not sort of learn how to be like comfortable down here and then give up the ghost one day. Uh, we're actually called to help make, make that kingdom a reality here now. Um, we actually get to do this thing where we stand together and scream against the darkness, not scream at each other. Um, you know, uh, and, and, um, so what I would say to that person struggling and saying, man, I wish I could just go away. I would say, you know, and go and be with the Lord. I would say, I understand that. And I understand your pain, but God has continued to keep the breath in your lungs because he has a mission for you to be on. And that mission is to help bring his shalom and peace here on earth. And man, that's something worth sticking around for, you know? So, yeah. Thanks, Adam. I, I'll let me close out this first section by giving a little bit of personal summary here. I think one, one thing that we haven't really mentioned that I think is important is that in our theology of suffering, while Christians are not called to pursue suffering, we're not saying like, hey, we're, we love to suffer because you know, we love the hurt. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are allowed to, and we believe you can delight in suffering. We believe there's joy in suffering. We believe there's something, even in the midst of how ugly things are right now and how weary we are and how hard this is, we rejoice. And it's not just we rejoice because Christ is coming back one day, uh, but we rejoice that the cross of Christ has purpose right now. You guys mentioned the mission. You mentioned a healthy way of thinking about things and a healthy way of not walking in anxiety and worry. And so we delight in the fact that I can have confidence even in the here and now, knowing that the Lord, yes, has purpose for me and purpose for my suffering. But what sets us apart, the second thing we talked about, what really sets us apart is our view of suffering and the way that we the way that we process our suffering, the way that we navigate our suffering. And it's different than the world does. Where the world, I believe the world thinks like if we can chase pleasure and avoid pain, that's our ultimate purpose. And Christians do not operate like that, institutionally or individually. We don't go, hey, whatever, whatever would make people the most happy, that's what our church needs to do. That is absolutely not the call of Christ. Hey, whatever helps you avoid the most pain personally, that's what you need to do. No, sometimes we need to step into what's really ugly and what we know is going to give us a, a lot of criticism or a lot of pain, and because it's the right thing to do, and that's what's going to set us apart. 
that's why a lot of churches are calling us to be the loudest voice right now into what's been really difficult and divisive. It's not in order to, to increase division, to, but to bring you unity around the right things. And that doesn't happen when we're quiet. And that's seeking the common good goes beyond just sharing the fact that Christ has died and one day he's coming back, but it has something to do with the here and the now that the gospel can break out into lives right now, that union in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit gives me power to influence life right now and to make a difference right now. And how much of our scripture is about helping the poor, serving the vulnerable. When you see the Lord's heart for people, uh, when you see Christ at work, you see him hands-on, involved in people's lives, expressing the kind of compassion that I feel sometimes um, in my sinful heart ashamed that I don't represent. I would rather hide in my house introverted. I'd rather find an excuse to not get involved because compassion is hard and yet it's what we're called to because I want everybody to share the same eternal home. All right, let's close out this episode or let's start to wrap up this discussion by looking ahead towards the fall. One of the things that we as Christians get to uh, really delight in is that the Lord is not static. He didn't just, he's not deistically static where he didn't start things and walk away and just say, let's see what happens. Nor is he static in the sense of, hey, whatever you guys want to do, let's just let it happen. The Lord is active and dynamic and changing things. So let's talk about some of the things that we hope are different by the time we are back talking in fall of 2020, or some of the things that we hope maybe are just on track to change in the fall of 2020. So Elizabeth, when, when I say, hey, I want some things to be different by this fall, I'm sure there's a short list of things in your head you're like, me too. Uh, what are the things personally or what are the things institutionally or nationally that you hope are changing or have changed by the fall of 2020? Um, I'd probably say this for all the single people, but that our dating lives would look different in the fall of COVID-19, COVID 2020. <laughs> People still getting married. It can happen. Um, <laughs> no, I think uh, I would like to have seen a country come together to really fight COVID um, and to see us love one another and to lay down our personal preferences to really help those who can't help themselves um, and that we are, the worst of it is behind us and we have worked to work really hard to contain it. Um, I also think that some of the things that we see with racial injustice and in a lot of churches who are trying to get in the mix and trying to have these conversations that in fall 2020, they're still having these conversations that their churches have committed to specific things that they can do um, to be able to continue this engagement for the years to come, um, because that is a long journey and people get weary really quickly. Um, so I think specifically with those two things, I think also political engagement this year is a big year for our country and that people are engaged um, in bringing their faith to the polling location with them um, and doing their best to vote in a way that honors our Christian ideals, which is difficult. This is not an easy voting year to make that happen. Um, but I think the main one is I would really like the narrative for America to be that we got it together with COVID-19 and we came together as a country and squashed it. Because I think we can do that. I, I hope we can. I really do. I think that's a, uh, one of the things you see when you look around the world is countries who are listening well to local and national governments and saying, this is what it's going to take, then that's what we're going to do. And one of the things you see historically in America, and even right now, is that to us, freedom means I get to do what I want, mm -hmm. not necessarily what serves other people. And so we... 
we look at it as a loss of freedom anytime somebody asks us to do something that seems inconvenient, which may not always be the case. And that may be an unpopular opinion right there. Somebody may want to tell me, put me in my place. Adam, what are the things that uh, you want to see changed by fall 2020, or at least in route? I want to be able to do what I want to do, Adam. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <just> <laughs> Honestly, I thought what Elizabeth said was just um, profound, man. About dating? I, I, yeah, about dating. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, just that, that idea that the narrative could change from one that focuses on all that divides us uh, and it, that it could change more to, hey, we we have lots of differences, but there's this thing called humanity. Um, there's, you know, and for the Christian, that means the Imago day that everybody is created with dignity and worth, um, and, and deserves love, I think we would say. And, um, yeah. So my hope is that we could somehow see that in each other and come together. Uh, um, and, and yeah, Wash COVID nineteen and make lasting, you know, change in this country around racism. Uh, may, maybe take meaningful steps forward for the first time in a really long time. One of the driving forces that I know we we don't talk about much, but we could do some several episodes on this. Actually, now that I'm thinking of it, but there is a um, a love of money that drives a lot of what we would uh, call something else in our country and whether that's the way we're responding to COVID or even politics, I mean, a lot of politics, uh, racial injustice, there's a, there's money to be made in being enemies. There's money to be made in division. There's money to be made in disagreeing. Uh, there's money to be made in trying to get people to click on the things you say and clickbaiting people. And therefore in order to get them to click, you have to enrage them. And so there's, there's money behind so much of what divides us right now. And I think one of the things that I would really love to see is it is so easy right now. And uh, Elizabeth talked about this a little bit earlier uh, in the demonizing thing you talked about, but it's easy to create everybody in two categories. You are either a hero or a villain. And I'm, I'm in my own mind, I'm always the hero and the people who disagree with me are the villains. And if we could have a little level of human empathy that understands that people have dignity that money is not God, and therefore I can sacrifice what I might make uh, by disagreeing with you or by uh, being a party to whatever version of that there is. Let me say it like this. I was uh, reading uh, Luke 16 this morning in um, my just daily uh, time with the Lord, and it it just stuck out to me again, the, the calling out of the Pharisees who it says, often we think of the Pharisees as religious hypocrites, but it says in Luke 16, Um, The Pharisees loved money. The Pharisees were lovers of money, I think is the exact words it says. And therefore, they scoffed at what Jesus had to say to them. And they scoffed, obviously, at his actions and his care for the vulnerable. But they were lovers of money. And that's when Jesus calls them out and says, listen, you can't have two gods. You can't love God and money. And so what I would love to see us do this fall is as we release a little bit of the, the desperate love of stuff, and the absolute need for the uh, American way of life to be non-negotiable, which is kind of the way we operate, is the American way of life is, is a non-negotiable. 
then maybe some of the other things would be easier. Maybe we'd be able to unify around some things. Maybe churches would start to work together more easily. And maybe uh, the, the news market that is so driven by clicks and views would settle down a little bit and realize maybe there's a more noble cause to the, to the journalistic idea that we've called them to. And I get it that you have to make money to stay open, but man, it is so harmful and hurtful when we would propagate something false or misleading in order to get people to listen to us. And I hope what happens is that the media starts to shift to a more unified version of this country. And I think if that would happen, we would start to see Americans be a little bit more unified. If we had a, a less, um, I know that the, the terms right now are like that the media is very biased and it's you either have your left-wing channel or your right-wing channel. And you can even look at charts at who's the most and who's the least and who's the who's more centered and unbiased. And I'm telling you that bias is in all of us. And I know the Lord is the only one who is non-partial, but one of the things I would love to change in this country and see change here is understanding the avenues that we receive our information through and see those avenues be a little more altruistic. And uh, I, I feel like a lot less people would be misled and we have a lot less rage culture, cancel culture, anger, and manifesting in sin. All right. Well, there's certainly more to talk about. As usual, there's always more to be talking about. I'm looking forward to being back with you guys this fall when politics are heating up even more. Hopefully this virus is going away and hopefully everybody is friends again. Wouldn't that be wonderful to just have everything perfect? But we also have some really great topical episodes that we are already working on for this fall and some other stuff that I'm really excited to show you guys. So after the summer break, uh, Elizabeth, Adam, and I are very much looking forward to being back with you. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Rohr. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thanks, listeners, and God bless you.